This is the Accidental Safety Pro brought to you by Vivid Learning Systems and the Health and Safety Institute. This is episode number 26. My name is Jill James, Vivid's Chief Safety Officer. And as a safety professional, I am wondering if you have ever said phrases like, I wish I could get my employees to pay attention or get their mind on their jobs, or maybe I need them to be present so they don't get hurt. I know I have, yet how do we do that? Is there an actual method to deploy that works? And the answer is, yes, there is. And we're going to hear how exactly from our guests today. Embrace yourselves because you may not have heard this before. We're talking about mindfulness and mindfulness-based safety. And this, I assure you, is not woo-woo fluffy stuff. So I hope you stick around and listen because I have two fabulous guests today and I'd like to introduce them now. Our first guest is Rachel Grace. Rachel is a corporate mindfulness speaker, trainer, and emotional intelligence leadership coach. Rachel has 20 years of personal meditation practice, training in psychology, and experience in social science research. As a consultant, Rachel works with leaders and their teams worldwide in both public and private sector, empowering professionals to master the soft skills they need to get hard results. Rachel is joining us today from her home in Brisbane, Australia, where it's a different day. And Linda, our second guest, Linda Martin is a certified safety professional, a certified industrial hygienist, a certified materials manager, and the 2018 president of the board of certified safety professionals and the chair of the certified safety professional foundation board. Linda is also a full-time faculty member and MS degree program coordinator at Keene State College and the 2018 recipient of the Marion Martin Award recognizing influential women in safety. And here at the Accidental Safety Pro podcast, Linda is the star of episode number 15. And Linda is joining us today from Indianapolis. So welcome to both of you. Thanks, Jill. So Rachel, let's um, let's start with you. And just for our Thanks, for our Jill. listeners, um, Rachel is our primary speaker today, and Linda has a story to tell as well um, regarding how she and Rachel made a connection in this particular sphere. Um, and Rachel, I'm wondering if you could start with your story regarding how did you come into mindfulness. Uh, good day, Jill. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, sure. So I, I started with mindfulness very reluctantly about 20 years ago. Um, I got chronic fatigue in my early 20s from overtraining for triathlons. I was a swimming and triathlon coach at the time and I overcooked it a bit. I got crook. And I went to a doctor who said to me at my first consult with him that unless I learned to focus my mind, I probably wasn't going to get my health back which wasn't what I wanted to hear and I was pretty annoyed at the time because I thought that was pretty, well, confrontational thing to say, to be honest. But mm -hmm. um, I was a bit desperate at the time and so I went off to my first mindfulness class and I hated it and I suspected it was rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, but, you know, at that first session, they, all they asked me to do was to pay attention, keep my attention on my breath and as soon as I sat down to try to do it, I noticed I couldn't and I was pretty shocked by that. And mm. I thought, how long has this been going on for? And I guess I recognised that there was probably some consequences for that, for my life, for my health and so on. And so I stuck with it and, um, you know, I'm glad I did it. It did help me to get better and I got really intrigued 
from that experience about how we can train our mind. You know, I'd been used to training bodies as a coach, but I thought, well, what can happen mm -hmm. if you train your mind and what's possible with that? So I went on and studied psychology, got a job in London at a hospital where we use mindfulness to work with patients. And then when I got back to Australia, I got much more into my own practice and I've um, started sitting long stint meditation retreats. And I did a 30-day one uh, a couple mm. of years, well, a few years ago now, and when I got back to my job after being away for 30 days and everyone started asking me where I'd been, I said I'd been on a meditation retreat. They looked at me like I was weird, but then they were also interested. <laughs> and that kind of um, mm -hmm. led to people asking me to start to teach when I was um, working in a job and I did. And then it's just gone on from there. And now I run my own business where I do this work full time. So it's been a long journey, but I was mm -hmm. reluctant and sceptical about it at first. But now I know that it really does help and... Um, yeah, so that's how I came to it and how I've gone on that journey to be here now. Fabulous. So, Rachel, but what about the safety piece? Like how did you find how did you how did you find safety and make a connection with mindfulness and safety and what that means? Yeah. Well, it's a little bit like the title to the podcast, you know, it was accidental. Um, so, <laughs> uh, okay. you know, I got back from this 30-day retreat people asked me where I'd been on my holidays I told them I'd been away meditating and off the back of that a lot of people asked me to teach them and then eventually it culminated in the director of my division asking me to teach our team which I was reluctant to do but I did and it really made a big positive impact on people my teammates and then it blossomed into word of mouth spreading and in a very short period of time under a year I'd trained hundreds of people and I had a waiting list mm -hmm. of a few hundred people to do mindfulness training with me and in the course of that experience the occupational health and safety team within that organization noticed what I was doing and this was an mm -hmm. organization that had both uh, field staff um, and also office-based staff and I didn't realise, but I got nominated for a safety leadership award in that organisation because of the work <laughs> that I was doing, which quite unbeknownst to me was having a positive impact on not only psychological safety, but people's capacity to remain safe out in the field. And it was quite a surprise to me. I won this award actually when I was away on holidays. <laughs> and I so got how do you, how, yeah, how do you accidentally win an award? Like, well, how did that work? <laughs> yeah, well, I got nominated for, I think the, there was a... Um, the occupational health and safety team put out a call to leaders in the organization to hear nominations for people who are making a positive impact on the safety culture and mm -hmm. um the director who'd initially asked me to run my first mindfulness course she initiated it and then it got voted in by all the other senior leaders as uh being a really worthwhile project that had had a positive impact on safety mm -hmm. and so when i got back from a holiday to Vietnam I found that I'd won this award it was sitting on my desk and I was really surprised and I got into conversations with the safety team there and I realized that what I'd been doing had actually kind of dovetailed into one of their um, initiatives which is mind on the job in that organization which is all about keeping your attention mm -hmm. in the moment to keep yourself safe in the field and that was my first awareness to be honest really explicitly about how much the work in mindfulness can be of service to the safety profession and then it was yeah. about probably a year later when I'd left that job and started running my own business and do keynote presentations on mindfulness uh, I did a presentation to a couple of thousand people where they're in the construction and uh, industry predominantly but also other field-based work 
and I had a lot of interest off the back of that talk about how this could apply to safety. And <laughs> again, I was like, well, okay, this is really starting to build some momentum. So I did a fair bit of literature research on it specifically and that's where I uh, found Linda. I found her hmm. article, Art and Science of Mindfulness in the Practice of Safety. I thought it was brilliant. I started referring to it and I made contact with her. And so, yeah, accidentally have I stumbled into safety, but I'm glad that I have because it's brought me here today and that's how I've met Linda. That's wonderful. So, Linda, you authored a paper called um, the, Art and, the Art and Science of Mindfulness, which we have on our on our website at Vivid and you can find it in some other areas too. But what was... I guess, Linda, why did you write that paper? And then tell us about what it was like when Rachel reached out to you. Yeah. So so that's a good question, Jill. Um, I was asked to look at writing the paper originally by my, my graduate uh, doctoral coordinator. Mm-hmm. And uh, he works primarily in the safety management systems realm. And he said, you know, this, this is a really interesting area um, – that's up and coming uh, in safety and actually in a, a lot of different um, realms of business. Mm-hmm. And um, he set me on a path to do the research and we ended up writing an article about it together for the magazine. And again, my, uh, my interest was, and Rachel will tell you this is, is more theoretical while mm-hmm. hers is very, uh, is practice based. And, and so when Rachel contacted me, uh, we hit it off almost immediately because you know, I, I'm more kind of in that realm of research and, and Ra- Rachel is rubber meets the road. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is how you do this. Um, and so I, I think Rachel will agree we, we've hit it off famously. <laughs> True. Yes. Confirmed. <laughs> Rachel, did you, when you, when you stumbled upon um, Linda's work, were you like, oh yes, somebody's actually done some research on this? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, my background in psychology is in research psychology. And so I'm a little bit of a nerd and I'm kind of, there's a part of me that always wishes I was still an academic. So, you Mm. know, when I got into Linda's paper, I uh, was not only excited to find it um, because it was exactly um, singing from the songbook that I was singing from, but, you Mm -hmm. know, it was a really high quality paper and I passed it on to the people that I was working with in organizations immediately. And I was so excited to see that someone was making these connections. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, so I had both a nerdy researcher moment and I had a, um, a moment of going, this is going to help me to, you know, communicate to the people in organizations about how this works because it was so well written. And so, yeah, I was really excited and, um, yeah, it's been great. And Linda's, you know, Mm -hmm. amazing. And I think because I do have that, um, research background, you know, I can appreciate and respect what she's doing and that's Mm -hmm. why it's been such a win because we're looking at writing a paper together and I'm looking Mm. at doing these projects these um, programs in organisations and I need people to be doing the research and the theoretical papers and I think academics need people like me who are scientifically literate Mm -hmm. and are out there working with people in organisations to make it happen and so Mm -hmm. I think it's a really beautiful partnership actually it's Mm -hmm. good yeah. Mm -hmm. Linda what does it what did it mean for you to to discover um, Rachel and you know the like like you aptly put it, you are on the theory side, Rachel's on the practice or where the rubber meets the road side. What has that been like for you to be able to see someone who brings what you started full circle? So 
I guess when Rachel first contacted me, I was like, oh, something somebody else is interested in in the same types of thing I'm, things I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, um, it's pretty exciting to see that Rachel has already kind of looked at the areas that we proposed mm-hmm. um, as far as putting mindfulness into practice in um, an actual field setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is low-dose, short uh, sections of mindfulness. And maybe Rachel can talk about that a little bit more. Um, But how do you adapt um, those traditional programs into something that will actually work, you know, for a company? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Which I guess leads to the, to another question, Rachel, is how does mindfulness relate to safety? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I think it probably if we start with a definition of mindfulness, then it probably helps to um, conceptualise how it does relate to safety because I think it's pretty obvious actually. So, mm-hmm. you know, he, there's heaps of definitions of mindfulness like any construct, but a simple one that I like to use is basically that mindfulness is about bringing our full awareness into this moment and mm-hmm. accepting this moment just as it is. So... When I say accepting, I don't mean approving or liking. I just mean being out of face that currently this is the reality I've got. And so that definition shares these two dimensions with pretty much all the other evidence-based definitions of mindfulness in that there's an awareness or attention element about having our awareness here and now. Mm -hmm. And there's this kind of emotional balance of mind aspect to that definition. So, you know, we're not... um, getting reactive about what's going on we're just accepting what's happening right now and Mm -hmm. so that's both a state of mind that can happen naturally and will happen naturally for everyone at different times but all too often that's not the case our mind (laughs) is not thinking about what's going on in front of us the mind our mind's not on the job it's not with the Mm -hmm. person we're with you know the mind's drifted Mm -hmm. off and it's thinking about something that it wants to have happen next or it wishes didn't have happened yesterday and so Mindfulness is a state of mind, but it's also something that we can actually start to develop through dedicated practice. And when you look at safety, and you know, I'll throw to Linda to talk more about how she appreciates that it relates to safety. But my understanding is that, you know, if you don't have your mind present where you are, then it's pretty hard to be safe at a really basic level, you know. Mm-hmm. And you you need to have your mind on the job, your attention in the moment, if you're gonna have any chance of remembering what on earth you're meant to be doing, spotting any challenges or problems that are coming up so you know how to handle them. And so it's really, it's the foundational skill, it's the internal skill that allows people to do their job safely. Equally Mm -hmm. with the emotional regulation part of it, you know, I'm not sure, but I imagine that a lot of accidents happen in uh, work environments when people are distracted. And I think a lot of distraction can happen from stuff like being reactive about stressful stuff that's going on at home, stressful stuff that happened on earlier in the day. And when people Mm -hmm. are caught up reacting to events that have just happened or they're worried might happen, you know, again, it leaks resources and attention from the moment. And I think it Mm -hmm. makes us less safe. So with mindfulness training, we're targeting that ability to be fully present and clear headed in the moment. And as far as I understand it that's at the very root system of creating mm-hmm. safety for individuals and then of course safe work cultures 
Right, right. So Linda, can you um, maybe expound on that a little more as a, as from your view as a safety professional, what that might mean to be to be present and what what those advantages are or risks when you're not? Sure. I, I think um, what Rachel said is is very true. I think um, one thing that I want to add to that is um, when you're paying attention to um, the right here now, the, the present moment, and you're doing a task, um, a lot of us in safety talk about, well, if you have the right training and you're focusing on the, the steps that you're supposed to do in a task and you do them right every time, then you should theoretically be safe. But, but that's not always the case, right? Mm-hmm. Being aware in the right here now also helps you to recognize internally and externally, um, instinctually, if something is not as it should seem, mm-hmm. right? So if your mind is elsewhere, as Rachel said, wandering or, or thinking about what's next or thinking about yesterday, um, you're not as in tune with those internal and external factors um, that could cause you to make a different decision despite mm-hmm. your training. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, everything that Rachel said plus that. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much being always in tune on doing things correctly and, and not being distracted, but also being so attentive to and and open to the internal and external factors that you may make a different choice that in fact saves your life. Mm-hmm. You may you may be um, present enough to listen and know that gut instinct that we say, you know, like something's not right with this mm. and right. being able to make a different decision. Right. Would you agree with that, Rachel? Or Yeah, or? definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's spot on. I think that the underlying skill set, the internal skill set that I work with people on in mindfulness training is to learn to notice when their mind wanders off and mm-hmm. to be able to bring it back to the here and now. So it's awareness and choice. And yeah. in that moment, they're also develop the skills. Um, part of the training is learning to use that tool to de-stress on demand and to not get caught up in emotional reactivity. And so once you've got a present and a calm mind, then mm-hmm. your situational awareness is enhanced. Your ability to be cognitively flexible is enhanced. You know, like I think that picks up on what you're saying, Linda, that you know, it's one thing when everything's going as it should, but when things start to go differently, you want to be able to pay attention to that and you want to be able to think clearly in that moment. And that's where clear thinking, paying attention to what's going on and being able to de-stress is really valuable. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of the times if things do go wrong or things don't go to plan, you know, it's one thing when it follows the script or the, you know, steps. But as Linda said, when it doesn't, then you really need to notice that you need to be able to respond appropriately, not react stressfully. And that's where, you know, mindfulness really does support safety in a really clear way, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I certainly know uh, as someone who practices mindfulness herself um, that, I deploy what I do for mindfulness when I'm under stress. And yeah, it's knowing mm. like to be able to listen to those cues of your body to say things aren't right right now. Yeah. How do I come back to the present moment and then exercising those muscles that you've practiced to know how to do that? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. And it's and it's also too, you know, there's a different type of stress, which is not just when it's peak stress, but when it's kind of like, I call it like boredom stress. You know, if you're doing mm. a habitual task and you really know your job and you're operating as usual, it's really easy to zone out, you know, mm. I think because it's, and so part of the benefit mm. of mindfulness is that it it kind of, it helps people to remain consciously choosing in the moment rather than get caught off in habitual patterns. Right. That can, yeah, can under Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yes, it does. I can see that being um being powerful in repetitive jobs. Yeah. Um you know, maybe someone who's working a repetitive task or working on a line doing the same thing hundreds of thousands of times a day. Yeah, that's it. Or mm-hmm. driving, you know, a, you know, a yes. classic one, you know, um my partner's a train driver in the mines and or you know, uh long haul um truck drivers you know that kind of situation it's it's it takes a conscious effort to keep your mind on the job and that's what mindfulness really builds up that capacity you know when you look at the research there's good research that shows that it does actually improve the brain's capacity both um, in terms of its function but even its structure the structural elements of the brain that are related to attention and emotional regulation um some research shows that it actually changes those areas for the better. It grows grey matter and it actually mm. makes a positive impact on the brain. So mm. it gets people more focused and it gets people more present and it gets people better able to manage their their stress so that right. they don't dissipate energy and lose concentration in the moment, yeah. Right. When I was, I was recently speaking with someone who's a safety uh, professional in the trucking industry, yeah. Um, and I was telling him about this podcast and what we we're going to be talking about. And he said, I cannot wait. He said, I cannot wait to hear <laughs> this. He said, because I want my drivers. This is the message. I, this, he yeah. said, it, he said, this is like the holy grail for me as a safety professional yeah. with drivers yeah. for exactly what you just talked about. Yeah. And, and so, and so he'll be very excited to, to, to hear this. <laughs> he's been, he's been waiting for it. Yeah. He's been waiting for oh, it. that's and, cool. And, yeah, Linda, go ahead. I was just going to say there, uh, as we continually research on this subject, and as me coming into my dissertation, there are more articles coming out on mindfulness and its its tie into distracted driving mm. and how um, it can improve uh, the safety records um, of professional drivers. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's something that. Um, is coming along. Yeah. Linda, you said that there's more and more people doing research. Um, if people are interested in looking into that and finding the research, how might they start looking or do you, I mean, obviously you have your paper and we can draw, draw people to that. Um, who, who else is working on this or what should they be searching? Well, I mean, at least from my perspective, I've, I've seen a lot of papers, uh, recently that are, are pulling together, um, the theoretical points, but there mm-hmm. aren't very many papers of people actually doing the research. Um, and I think my hope is um, in the partnership with Rachel that at, at some point um, she picks up some pretty good companies here that are really interested in this and we can start doing some really hardcore research on, mm. yes, this does work. Mm-hmm. Um I would say in my estimation, and I'll defer to Rachel in, in her research, but I see a lot of this is how we think it works, mm-hmm. um, but not so much uh, large or small scale actual um, statistical 
analyses yeah. of, of things. Yeah. Mm. So we're still emerging in this area. Yeah, Rachel, is that what, is that how you feel as well? Yeah, I mean, I think there, you know, there's always this tension in research between correlational research that happens in the field where you do something, you statistically analyse it to go, well, there's a pattern here and we think that they're related, you know, and that's the mm -hmm. real world stuff that we can probably start to do in organisations. And like Linda said, I'm very keen to work with organisations who are want to take a research-based approach to really uncovering the impact of mindfulness training because that mm -hmm. work needs to be done. Um, mm -hmm. And on the other side, there are as Linda said, there's more and more research cu coming down the end of the uh, randomised controlled trials, which has little uh, real-world validity, if you like, but it does give really strong, robust findings for identifying that we are doing something with mindfulness. Like, for example, there was a study at the University of California. They wanted to have a really high degree of experimental control and go, are we actually doing something when we're doing this mm -hmm. mindfulness training, right? And so they had three groups. Mm -hmm. And... The um, dependent variable or the way they assessed if their interventions made a difference was they got these um, participants to do a simple computer task and they compared their error rate and response times, right? Mm -hmm. And the three different conditions were some, um, some got assigned to a mindfulness um, practice and others got assigned to a simple relaxation task or reading the paper. And what they found was that those who'd been assigned randomly to do the eight minutes of mindfulness breathing had significantly faster reaction times and significantly fewer errors on the computer task, which mm -hmm. indicates less mind wandering mm -hmm. compared to people who'd been in these other conditions. So when you start to get really great research like that, that's done in the lab, and then you start to get research that's, um, you know, the real life experiments that I'm doing with people I work with in organisations where people typically after about week three of my eight-week mindfulness class go, I'm starting to notice that I could bring my attention back in the meeting. I could keep my mind focused more on the job when I'm out in the field. You know, when you start to dovetail these mm -hmm. different domains of evidence, because I think it takes all of it really to build a case, then mm -hmm. we're really starting to forge ahead and, and it's really exciting to be a part of that. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I know, you know, there's if people are interested in some of the research that I refer to, they're welcome to email me. Um, there's some really great papers are contemplating mindfulness at work and integrative review from the Journal of Management in 2015. And there's a lot of great papers that are really starting to bring these together in addition to Linda's. So yeah, mm -hmm. I, I hope that answers mm -hmm. that question. Yes, absolutely it does. So Rachel, when you're, when you're talking with people regarding mindfulness and safety, where do you start? Like, how do you get them interested? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, not, it's, uh, People are often interested about that. So I, I have a signature talk. Um, it's a one-hour introduction to mindfulness, and it's called Mindfulness, It's Not Just Hippie Fluffy Stuff. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that title would work in the US, but it seems <laughs> to work really well here in Australia uh -huh. because it kind of calls out the elephant in the room that says, you know, this mm -hmm. might be rubbish. Um, I might just be some hippy-dippy person coming to, you know, talk at your team-building event, but let's give it a go. And um, mm -hmm. I, saw, I take people on a journey in that talk um, where I basically share how I got into mindfulness, which is through, you know, being sick and, and being told to go and practice. And then I talk about the research, how there's, you know, so much research on the benefits of it these days, but then I really narrow in on two of the benefits that um, of mindfulness that really are appropriate and important for organisations. One is on its um, ability to help us learn to focus better and our ability to be more resilient. Mm -hmm. And I, I, one of the, I think one of the key turning points in that talk, I think, is... 
to be honest, probably not just that I've got the personal experience. So people can tell I just didn't do a weekend workshop on mindfulness and now I'm trying to flog it off for a profit. <laughs> they can tell it's genuine, right. you know, like I've, I've kind of uh-huh. reluctantly been dragged uh-huh. down this path for 20 years. Uh-huh. And um, so I think that helps, you know. You, uh, you align with the skeptics in the room based on your yeah, personal. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, mm-hmm. and to be honest, I'm okay if people are skeptical about it. So they should be. But, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I ask people in that talk to just have an open mind. Uh, to giving it a go so I talk to them about the science and that tends to help a lot but I also refer to this key piece of research which was done by uh, researchers at Harvard and the title of their paper is a wandering mind is an unhappy mind it was done by Killingsworth and in a nutshell when I talk about that piece I think it really turns people's um, I don't know I think it turns some of the skeptics because what they found was that This study looked at how much our mind wanders and they found that on average 47% of the time in a really large sample size people are thinking about something other than what they are doing. So what they did was they gave people, um, it was an app on the phone and it asked a few questions at random intervals during the day over a course of time and there was a number of questions but the target questions were what are you doing right now and are you thinking about something other than what you're doing right now? And Mm -hmm. what they found was 47% of the time people were thinking about something other than what they were doing. And when I invite people in that talk to think, as I do for your listeners, you know, to think, well, if about half the time our mind's not where our body is, then, like, what's Mm -hmm. the implication of that? You know, what's Mm -hmm. the implication of that for our safety? Well, we're probably more likely to have an accident. What's the implication of that for our decision-making, you know, Mm -hmm. at at a basic level? making good decisions requires capturing all the information and if we're missing stuff because we're not present well we're probably unlikely to make a good decision in the Mm -hmm. moment you know what's the implication for our connections with other people because Mm -hmm. most people can feel it when your mind wanders off and you're not listening to them anymore and it tends to not build relationships and communication and organizations Mm -hmm. very well and Mm -hmm. you know when you look at the crisis of engagement in a lot of organizations you know I think a key thing that leaders can do is they can learn to listen and be present with their staff even more and we can learn to be present with one another because that builds trust and connection with helps engagement so you know we kind of look at what's the implication of this like who cares and then we look at actually doing a practice where I teach people guide them through Mm -hmm. an opportunity to experience what it's like to do an evidence-based mindfulness practice where they notice their mind wanders off which is inevitable but yeah. then the key thing is that they have the ability, the awareness and the skill to choose to do something about it. So rather mm-hmm. than this thing kind of, I, sometimes I think the wandering mind just drags us around wherever it wants us to go. It's like, well, we can't mm-hmm. get rid of the wandering mind. It's with us. But we want to have it in the back seat mm-hmm. so that our mm-hmm. conscious choosing self is in the front seat. And by right. giving them a practice, um, I do a practice for about 15 minutes in that introductory talk and... So far, I've done this in front of thousands and thousands of people now, I say at the end, can I just see an honest raise of hands who felt like, who noticed that that made a difference to the state of their mind and 95, 99% of the room, their hands go up every single time. And so, you know, that's something that you can't fake that, you know. Mm -hmm. When you get that repeatedly, that's people in the moment verifying that. Yeah. You know, we did something and it something worked. changed you, for the better. Something shifted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I always, I always make the point that I can talk about my personal story. I can talk about the research evidence, but nothing is really as important as people doing it going, yeah, that had an impact on my, the quality of the state of my mind. So, right. Yeah. Right. Right. So, 
in order for our listeners to sort of experience this and um, touch and feel what it what it's like and uh, in, ensure that it's not hippy dippy fluffy stuff, I think we should um, we should take people on a little practice. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and I and we can hear in your beautiful part of the world the birds oh, are yeah. active outside <laughs> your window. Yes. <laughs> so I might just shut the window so that it's less distracting. Go ahead, go ahead, okay. take, okay. take a moment and do that. Mm-hmm. All right, great. Yeah, because it's morning time here in Australia, so the birds are in the palm tree outside. So hang on two seconds. Mm-hmm. So, Rachel, let's, let's experience what a mindfulness practice is about. And if you wouldn't mind, please take us on that journey. And for anyone who's listening right now who happens to be driving, this is not something that you'd want to do while driving a car or any kind of motor vehicle for that matter, or doing anything that might be deemed dangerous. And so if you're going to participate in this, uh, this next five minutes, um, I invite you to get to a place where you can be safe and present. And Rachel, please lead us. Great. Thanks, Jill. So just by way of setting the practice up, I just want to point out that in this practice, what I'll be guiding you to do is feeling the sensations in your body and When I first started, I thought to myself, what on earth has that got to do with anything? But the reality is that the sensations in our body are a really great tool to learn to anchor our attention in the present because sensations in the body are always occurring and only occurring in this very moment. So don't let the subtlety of this practice kind of um, be lost on you. It's really an evidence-based practice that uses the sensations in the body as a way to anchor your attention in the here and now. And as you'll see, every time we notice that our attention wanders, I'm going to invite you to have your attention come back. And in this way, we start to notice the wandering mind and choose to do something about it and respond by bringing it back. So to make a start, just invite you to find a comfortable sitting position. Ideally, if you can, both feet flat on the floor, a nice straight back, and then just allow your eyes to be gently closed or downcast. We'll make a start using some chimes to begin. So to begin our practice, I just invite you to join me in taking a nice deep breath in, filling your lungs right up. And then exhaling gently and slowly releasing all the air from your lungs. And then as you allow your breath to return to its natural and gentle rhythm, breathing in and out through your nose with your mouth gently shut if that's possible for you today. I just invite you to bring your attention firmly into this moment by paying attention to the physical sensations they're currently going on in the area of your feet. So wherever your attention might be, I invite you to get it and direct it. Focus it on your feet. And feel and notice the physical sensations that are going on in the area of your feet right now. Tingling. Coldness. Heaviness. Whatever it might be. 
If you can't feel any physical sensations in your feet, that's okay. What you might like to do is just push your feet into the floor. And as you do that, notice what that feels like. Notice where you might feel pressure or warmth. And then allow your feet to come to their resting position. Just noticing the sensations that are there in your feet right now. Now I invite you to shift your attention from your feet to your hands. An important part of the practice and benefit of mindfulness is we learn to shift our attention where we want it upon command and keep it there. And we're practicing that right now. So I invite you to shift your attention from your feet to your hands. And as your attention lands, if you like, on your hands, I invite you to begin the process of feeling and noticing all the different kinds of physical sensations that are going on in the area of your hands right here, right now. What can you notice? There's no right or wrong. It's just simply a practice of using your awareness to notice what's going on right here, right now. Coldness, tingliness, sweatiness, dryness, heaviness, whatever the sensations are in your hands right now, just notice them just as they are. Now I invite you to shift your attention from your hands and take your attention to your belly. In fact, I invite you to place one hand on your belly so that with the benefit of your hand on your belly, you can feel and notice the physical sensations that accompany your breathing, so that on the very next in-breath, you feel the way the belly rises, and on the next out-breath, you notice how the belly falls. Keeping your attention on your belly exclusively. Feel and notice the physical sensations. All the different kinds of physical sensations going on in the area of your belly as you breathe. Rising. Falling. touch of your clothes, all the sensations that are there. And just keep your attention focused on feeling those sensations. And if you notice that your mind wanders away from being focused on those sensations in your belly at any time, the moment you notice that, with a kind but firm attitude, just bring your attention back. Choose to bring your wandering mind back and focus on feeling the sensations in the area of your belly again. We'll practice in silence for the next 20 seconds or so. You know what to do, you're feeling the sensations in your belly. And every time you notice your mind might wander away, the moment you notice, you just choose to bring your attention back 
and focus on the sensations in your belly. We'll start that 20 seconds practice now. Feeling the sensations in the area of your belly as you breathe in. Keeping your attention there as you breathe out. Now allowing your hand to return to its original resting position. And joining me in taking a nice deep breath in to conclude our practice. And taking a nice long exhalation out. And then allowing your eyes to open gently and bring your attention back into the room. Mm, thank you, Rachel. My pleasure. So, Rachel, for people who just experienced this and maybe they're feeling a little like, oh, refreshed and this feels good, but at the same time wondering how do I do this with my workforce? Like, mm. when would I do it? Mm. And how would we do this? Can Do you have any examples from some of the companies that you've worked with of how they've actually incorporated it into their work environments and allowing, allowing the time for it once they know how? Yeah, for sure. It's a good question. Yeah, so, you know, I guess the thing off the back of a practice like that I would encourage your listeners to do is just to notice how they feel right now um, and contemplating the state of the mind that they're in right now, you know, ask themselves, ask yourself, you know, would this state of mind make a difference to how I work? You know, most people mm -hmm. report feeling calmer and clearer, more together, more settled, more focused. And the reality is that for most people, the answer is self-evident that if they could mm -hmm. maintain or, or access that state of mind on demand, or be in that mm -hmm. place more regularly, it'd be self-evident that it would make for a better work environment and better work practices. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's one part of the answer, Jill. You know, it's about having the practical e experience of it so you can notice that it has an impact. Mm -hmm. And then using that as a motivating force to go, well, if we do this more regularly, we'll get more of this clarity, mm -hmm. focus, centeredness, and so on. So... A lot of the work that I do, you know, off the back of a one-hour presentation um, is about taking people to train them in an eight-week train mindfulness training program because this is mm -hmm. a lot like fitness. You know, talking about going to the gym doesn't get you fit and talking about mindfulness doesn't <laughs> benefit your mind fitness. You know, right. if we, if we want to create a successful mindfulness-based safety culture, as you're pointing out, you've got to do the practice. And so... Just like with getting physically fit, there's some basic skills that you want to learn. You want to know how to use the equipment. You want to know how to avoid injury. You want to know how to train different um, types of mindfulness muscles for different um, activities. Mm -hmm. And so it's about getting educated and about knowing how to do different practices. So in practice, what that looks like is getting people together as a team. Normally, I train groups of about 24 in a team. In mm -hmm. an eight-week mindfulness program, we spend an hour once a week, every week for eight weeks. 
and we talk about the conceptual, the science, the stories, the practical application of mindfulness, but then we also, most importantly, we do a practice and I connect people with the uh, mindfulness practices I publish on the Insight Timer mindfulness app so that they can do a daily practice. Of course, mm -hmm. not everyone does a daily practice, um, but those who do are the ones who get the most benefit. That's just the truth, like fitness. You know, if you go to the gym, mm -hmm. you get fit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And with that, it starts to create a couple of things. One is people start to handle themselves better. And once they start to handle themselves better, that has influence on those around them. And when people go together as a group, then they start to have the language to have a dialogue about these things. So there's a whole, there's a whole education piece around mindfulness and non-reactivity and emotional intelligence and awareness that a group of people in the same organisation develop. And then they are able to start to talk with each other and encourage each other and mm -hmm. model to one another these kind of behaviours. So, mm -hmm. you know, one team I worked with, they were last year, they were highly stressed out, their work's really demanding, they go and do work in the field and they're just taking that stress out on each other. You know, it was a really toxic work environment. And the first part of mindfulness, to be honest, was really about imparting the skills for them to know how to regulate their emotions and de-stress so that they could stop being so reactive Mm -hmm. and toxic with one another you know mm -hmm. first things mm -hmm. first mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then but then once you get from that kind of that where people mm -hmm. are sinking to getting them to swim then what you actually get mm -hmm. them to do is go from the swimming to actually like the surfing the stresses of life you know one of mm -hmm. my favorite quotes around mindfulness is that you can't stop the waves but you can learn to surf and sure mm. a lot of people come into training and they're just trying to not sink but right. once once people get the emotional regulation piece which comes from practice and understanding how this all works, then they start to be able to perform a lot better. And so, you know, mm. I was talk talking to a guy yesterday. He was, uh, he's kind of like the alpha male in an organisation. He came to a mindfulness one-day training I did in January. He was sceptical. He sat up the back with his arms crossed all day. He's the leader mm. of the group too, uh -huh. 40 of them. He's up the back. I thought, oh, goodness. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. oh, good, good. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh -huh. and that's fine. And then at the end, I, didn't, I actually haven't caught up with him to find out what it was that, got him over the line but in the end he said you know what you've actually made some really good points today and he said to me these was his words he said I'm going to give this a red hot go and when he <laughs> and of course when he said he's going to give it a go half mm -hmm. the group falls in behind him because he's the of alpha course. male he's the boss so a lot of it's about having the leadership in an organization to because it's, it's easy for people to go well I think they all need it mm -hmm. but the people who the leaders who are willing to go I'm going to do it that's mm -hmm. when it really has the um, capacity to change, you know, culture. And I talked to him yesterday. I'm going up to work with his people next week. And he's like, I've been practicing 15 minutes every day. It's changed my oh. life. And it's his words. He's, oh. like, oh. He's, he's like, I'm just telling everyone they've just got to bloody well do it now. You know, classic Australian. I'm like, <laughs> okay, I don't know how that's going to go. We'll have to workshop that. But, you know, good on him because he's taken it. Oh. He's run with it and he's gone, I'm mm -hmm. going to give this a go. And if it's, mm -hmm. if it's rubbish, then I'm going to call it out, but I'm going to try it. And, um, He's now an advocate for it and I can't wait to work with his team because he'll be modelling mm. it. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's, in some ways it's not rocket science. If we want to create a safe culture in our organisations, we've got to start with the internal skill set that we're all wandering around with. And if safety doesn't come from our internal capacity to pay attention and manage our mind and our awareness skillfully, then I don't know where it comes from. You know, surely that's the foundation of it. And if we get organisations where they practice it together, um, then that's, mm -hmm. that starts to change mm 
the, the shape of people's brains probably and definitely the shape right. of the culture. I've had right. organisations where they now start their meetings off with five minutes of mindfulness, so that's um, one way people do it, and they mm. find that they're much more productive in the meeting, they're much more focused, you know, because a lot of people w- wander into meetings and they're, you know, their mind's still on the job that they've just left they're kind of reactive and it's you know a bit chaotic whereas starting with five minutes of mindfulness kind of gets everyone in the zone and gets people thinking clearly that's the way some people do it other people have created Mm -hmm. um, mindfulness meditation spaces in their depot um, shed or in their workplace Um, but it it requires a few champions you know um, in the Mm -hmm. organization that's the truth and if those champions can be the leaders then it really gets a run on and that's where you really start to see things start to change. But mm-hmm. so it's an education piece on learning the skills and then, you know, with the um, practices that I put up on the app and there's plans to potentially do a digital course so it's kind of available on demand, then these are the kinds of ways we can start to scale it. We're not quite there yet but it's in the, mm-hmm. it's in in the, the pipeline. Works. Yeah, it's in the works because yeah. the demand's there and the impact is um, emerging wherever you do this and you do it properly, mm-hmm. it starts mm-hmm. to have a positive impact and that is what people want. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So you had used a term a little bit ago, non-reactivity. Mm. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? I picked up on that word and I think I know what you were getting at there, mm. but um, for our listeners to define what you were talking about. Yeah, sure. So a lot of the time we'll, we all have these habitual reactive patterns to things you know we'll see the person who annoys us at work and we'll Mm -hmm. react with a sense of anger or you know there'll be some internal internal reaction that will go on um to life's stressful moments and there's plenty of them right Mm -hmm. and the thing is that sometimes those reactions serve us but sometimes they don't and particularly when they're really strong emotional reactions to stressful events um they can often lead us to behave in ways that we later regret or are unsafe or unprofessional Mm -hmm. or unproductive, you know. And it can Mm -hmm. happen from the overt, you know, reactions of, um, (laughs) as someone said to me the other day, that they nearly punched someone and that would have been a career-limiting move. And I said, yeah, well, that would have been a career-limiting move. I'm glad you didn't do that. You know, from Mm -hmm. that kind of extreme Mm -hmm. to people Mm -hmm. who just, you know, they ruminate and fester about what's going wrong at work and it's waking them up at 3 o'clock in the morning and it's a really internalised experience. But So there's lots of different ways that we react negatively or unproductively Mm -hmm. to stress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And with mindfulness, we start to be able to notice those patterns and essentially interrupt them and catch Mm -hmm. them early. So mm-hmm. that rather than reacting habitually and unconsciously in ways that we might later regret or which might actually undermine our concentration or health, we start mm-hmm. to be able to notice that pattern early and then we start to be able to choose, instead of a reaction, a more wise and skillful response. And mm-hmm. at a really practical level, this starts with being aware of what's going on in our body. And I know this uh, this is really hard for people to um, conceptualise at the beginning, but you get to see it when you practice. One of the first signals that you're reacting is the changes in your body. So when I'm getting angry, I can feel it in my body. I feel like it's heat prickling up against my chest. And there's mm-hmm. actually been research that's been done that shows that different emotions have different um, physical, oh, physical sensation magic. correlates. Sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a really interesting paper. Mm-hmm. It's got color coding on it and everything. And I, mm. I you know, I introduced this to people uh, during my eight-week course and people look at me like, oh, I'm not quite sure. But I had an email from someone the other day said, you know, you're not wrong. I got into an argy-bargy with my boss. 
typically I would have reacted really badly. It would have gone, you know, pear-shaped. But mm-hmm. in the moment, I remembered the practice. I used my breath to focus my attention and calm my nerves. Mm-hmm. And I noticed all of the sensations in my body that were telling me that I was really angry. I felt heat in my uh, chest mm. and in my throat and I used that as a warning sign to be very alert to what Mm. I did next Mm -hmm. and because I was Mm -hmm. sensitive to that I didn't get blindsided by my habitual reaction where I got in another argument with my boss Mm -hmm. I actually was able to notice that that was what was coming see it ahead of you Mm -hmm. know see it ahead of time and actually use the practice feeling the sensations with the breath to calm my mind and create a bit of a gap to be able to choose a different response I don't yeah. know if that answers your question, but it absolutely yes, it absolutely does, yeah. and it makes it makes complete sense why this practice is an eight week study when you're working with people because it takes it. This isn't a once and done kind of thing to build that, to build those responses um, no. that you can lean into when you need them. It's yeah, you're not going to listen to this podcast and be able to have it nailed. No. So, <laughs> I mean, I, it's exactly right, and I think the the closest metaphor, the most helpful metaphor, is one of exercise. You know, mm-hmm. yes. uh, you, you, if you go for a, if we were all to go for a walk right now for 10 minutes, we'd probably mm-hmm. all feel better at the end of the 10 minutes for the walk, you know. But yeah. that's, that's not to say we're fit. So when I take people through a 10-minute mindfulness practice, most of the times they feel some benefit. They've had a change in their state of mind. Mm-hmm. But if you want to have a change in the trait of your mind in terms of how you habitually respond to life, how you turn up, how you are most of the time, you've got to train to be fit. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to get physically fit, you've got to do the training and then you have all mm-hmm. the day-to-day benefits of being physically fit, more energy, more flexibility, you know, greater um, you know, ability to deal with stress. And so same goes with yeah. mindfulness. And I think if people keep that in mind, you know, this is not – it's not a magic pill at all. It's work and it's training, but the benefits are there. And just like mindfulness, I'm oh, sorry, just like physical fitness though, you don't have to, it's not like you only get benefits from physical fitness training after you've done it for a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you get a little bit of benefit every the moment, time. every time. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. they call it a dosage effect. You know, you can't trick the system here. And I like that, that honesty about mindfulness training is that you get as much benefit as training that you put in you put in 10 minutes of practice you get 10 minutes of benefit and that's not no benefit but it's not the same as someone who's done it for 20 years Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it's you you get what you put in and uh in Mm -hmm. that way it's a really kind of honest and also really predictable kind of experience that yeah Mm -hmm. you'll get a good Mm -hmm. result if you put the training in Mm -hmm. and so yeah yeah linda i'm interested to hear from you on some practical applications as as you know you've been studying this and listening today what would you share with our guests uh our, our podcast listeners about applications in in health and safety practices so uh, i learn something new from rachel every single time i hear her talk about this subject <laughs> and and so as i was listening um to tie it back to safety outcomes um, the things that we've touched on today fleet safety um, rachel just uh, talked almost directly to workplace violence and how uh, mindfulness um, collectively or or individually in a workforce um, might help to reduce uh, incidences of workplace violence and or mm-hmm. um, to de-escalate situations. Um, these mm-hmm. are all uh, hot topics in safety right now. It's I mean, it's not just about reducing errors or um, preventing accidents, um, but you know some of these really 
uh, difficult things that we we are looking at right now in safety. You know, like I said, fleet safety, uh, yeah. workplace violence, um, reduction of air. I mean, they they all have application um, with these methods that Rachel talks about. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I, I was thinking about um, from a mental health standpoint as well, maybe someone who suffers from um, mild anxiety mm. and at work and how the how this could be an intervention for them as well. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I'm uh, careful to point out that, you know, I'm not a registered psychologist and I don't right. go into organizations to do this as a therapeutic intervention. You know, it's... Mm-hmm. Um, many therapists uh, do use mindfulness with their clients these days of course Um, and there's lots of research on the benefits for mindfulness for anxiety and depression under certain conditions and so on Um, Mm -hmm. you know when I'm in a workplace I definitely you know I guess I'm working with the population which will have some degree of anxiety and some degree of depression and aggression you know it's Mm -hmm. all there in every workplace isn't it because right you know uh, it's it's everywhere Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's exactly right and I guess you know for people if they're really struggling with significant issues then I direct them to you know connect with a therapist but you know pretty much in any situation um you know, feeling aggressive feelings, even if it's not that it turns into violence or feeling really stressed and anxious, even if it's not full-blown anxiety, that's present for Mm -hmm. all of us, I think, to some degree at Mm -hmm. some point in time. And so Mm -hmm. this is for, this is really about equipping people with the skills to know how to handle the stresses of life. You know, I've heard some people say, and I agree with them, that probably in Here's Dan Harris, who has some really great YouTube clips on mindfulness um, and wrote a book called 10% Happier. You know, Mm. I've heard him say that if, and I don't know if it's true, but this is what I think he says, is that in the 50s, if you had said to someone, you know, I'm going for a run, they would have said, what are you running from? You know, but now (laughs) now it's taken as a given that we, that if you, you might not choose to be physically fit, but if you want to take care of your health, you really need to do some exercise, right? Mm -hmm, And I think mm -hmm. in the next five to 10 years, it's going to be the same with mindfulness. People will be like, have you done your practice? Have you done your sit? And of course, there's going to be people who go, nah, I can't be bothered. I don't want to do it. But mm-hmm. I think the amount of momentum with the evidence and people's direct experience will be that we'll know that if we want to keep ourselves mentally fit so that we don't fall into the trap of, you know, having f- some of the challenges that come when we're not mentally fit, mm-hmm. I think people are going to know and it's going to be part of a lot of um, certainly mm-hmm. probably Australian and American cultures where it's almost a given that you need to have good mental health practices and mindfulness is one of the best training tools that I've ever come across for keeping yourself Mm. in a good space. Um, Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's fabulous. Thank you. And as we start to um, wind down our time together today, Linda, I wanted to ask you, um, I think you had mentioned earlier kind of like what's next um, for, for both um, you and Rachel together, things that you're working on. Um, Do you have some things to share with us? Uh, as as Rachel mentioned, we'd like to write a paper together. Um, I'm hoping she's still okay. she's still game for that. Um, and mm-hmm. we have also discussed uh, doing some some presentations together. Um, hasn't worked mm-hmm. out this year just because of Rachel has a very busy schedule. Um, but I would hope in the future that we can kind of uh, mesh kind of our two different realms of of thinking together and and. Mm-hmm. bring this uh to more companies yeah mm-hmm. rachel mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah no that's exactly right i mean i 
I would love to write a paper with you, Linda, for sure. I'm still on for that, mate. No worries. Um, and, you know, I, but I think the thing is that I see this as being demand-led, you know, like if there's demand for people mm -hmm. who are willing to give this a go, then I'm interested to hear about that and I would love right. to work with Linda and you know, I'm happy to travel to the States to do so. So, you know, right. the, the thing is that... You know, it's it's at that point where we need a few organisations who are willing to lead the way to work mm -hmm. with Linda and I to uh, start to, you know, really create a database of um, evidence for how this works. I've got programs that are ready to go and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, potentially if we can look to create papers, do work in organisations and then once that's been piloted or uh, explored, you know, potentially do a digital program so it can be rolled out um, mm -hmm. to, you know, at scale. They're the things I see in the future. And if no one's interested in it, then that's okay too. I'll go and do other things. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think the truth is, and Linda and I've talked about this a lot and we've talked about it with you too, Jill, you know, I think the truth is that these skills are evidence-based, they're accessible, they're practical and they have so many knock-on benefits for safety and performance in the workplace that I can't see it going any other way than this being something that is a major feature of leading organisations in the not-too-distant future. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Right. And, and, and it's not only is it accessible, it's free. After you know how to do well, what needs to be done, it's accessible to you at any time without a cost. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. And it's and that's one of the best things about it, you know, and um, I'd make this point in my mindfulness training. You know, I train people specifically to focus on using the sensations in their body and particularly their breath as a way to get the benefits of mindfulness um, because it's highly practical. It's free. Yeah. You know, you're not relying on an app or a sound or some, you know, candle or, or anything else. You know, mm -hmm. there, there are techniques in mindfulness practice um, that do use something external to the individual to get them to focus their mind and train their attention, and they're really useful. But I don't think they're as practical in the workplace because if you're out driving your train across the desert or you're mm -hmm. out on the road or you're at work, you know, you can't be going, oh, I'm just going to get out this external tool to help me get myself yeah. in a good state of mind. It's got to be mm -hmm. something you can do in the moment in day-to-day -day mm -hmm. life and I'm really mm -hmm. passionate about making mindfulness practical to people and you know after training hundreds of people now and speaking in front of thousands it would appear that it it really does work you know and mm -hmm. like you, once mm -hmm. you've made that investment and you learn the skills and you've got some champions in the organization then you're away yeah so. mm -hmm. right well and for our listeners speaking of demand uh Rachel and if people are listening and thinking I want to know more I want to hear more I want to read about this myself um, some places that you can go. Um, number one, if you want to read um, Linda's paper, The Art and Science of Mindfulness, you can go to our website at vividlearningsystems.com and in the search um, bar, just type mindfulness and the paper will come up right away. Um, you can also connect with, um, with Rachel um, at her website, rachelgrace.com au. And also on LinkedIn, where Rachel often shares some of the information that you that you referred to on the Insight Timer, where you have some guided meditation practices if people want to come back to it. Is that correct? Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, my website's rachelgrace.com.au. So it's R-A-C-H-E-L-G-R-A-C-E.com.au. Um, 
you can follow or connect with me there. But LinkedIn is probably the best place to stay across the things that I'm doing. I publish there uh, when I put up new meditations on Insight Timer and so on. So you can look mm-hmm. for me under Rachel Grace um, uh, and on the Rachel Grace that's in Australia. And um, I think there'll be links on this page as well. So, yeah, mm-hmm. and email mm-hmm. me if you're interested to find out more. That's fine too. So yeah. hello mm-hmm. at rachelgrace.com.au is my email. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Linda and Rachel, thank you so much for being with all of our guests today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Jill. Thank you, Jill. Thanks, Linda. Mm -hmm. And thank you all so much for joining in and listening today. And thank you for the work you all do to make sure your workers, including your temporary workers, make it home safe every day. Special thanks to Will Moss, our podcast producer. You can listen to all of our episodes at vividlearningsystems.com or subscribe in the podcast player of your choosing. If you have a suggestion for a guest, including if it's you, please contact me at social at vividlearningsystems.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.